Thriving with Chronic Illness is brought to you by Life Audio and is a part of our Faith Toolkit series. For more inspirational, faith-affirming podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Hello, and welcome to the Thriving with Chronic Illness podcast, where we talk about the hurts, the struggles, and yes, the hope and the joy. That comes when our broken yet redeemed bodies lean hard on Jesus. I'm your host, Jennifer Slattery. I'm an author, I'm a speaker, I'm a ministry leader, and I am a fibromyalgia warrior. Now, you might have chuckled to hear me call myself that, but I like to remind myself that I'm strong, or more accurately, that Christ is strong in me, and through Him, I have all the strength that I need to thrive despite my challenges and circumstances. And if you've trusted in Christ for salvation, the same is true for you. Christ is strong in you. And I feel like you might need to hear that. Christ is strong in you. And as you lean on him, he will awaken your inner warrior, your victor. But before I go too far, I want to say I am not a therapist, nor am I trying to be a therapist. I'm simply here to share what God has and is doing within me and how he's helping me to grab hold of joy in the midst of my most difficult days and nights. And so today we're discussing depression. And some of us have fallen into a depressed mindset because we've lost sight of hope. Others of us have landed in that place because we've really never given ourselves the time, the space, permission to grieve. And our depression might also have a medical cause. And we might need medication. We might need to see a therapist. That's my daughter. She doesn't have chronic illness, but she does battle anxiety and depression. And she shares her story in the second episode of my Faith Over Fear podcast. If you haven't listened to our conversation, I encourage you to do so. I think it might it might encourage and inspire you. You can find it on lifeaudio.com. Now, she tried everything to make herself better. She went to the gym. She saw a therapist. She intentionally engaged in creative activities and doing art. She forced herself to get outside. And while all those things helped, they could not compensate for what was going on inside of her biochemically. And so she began taking medication. She still does all those wonderful self-help things, but the medication has made such a difference. And not just with her mood, but it's also helped her so much spiritually with her relationship with God. You see, mental and physical illness can numb our ability to feel God. But that doesn't mean that he's distant just because he feels like he is. Our faith, our relationship with Christ, it's so much greater than our emotions, so much deeper and more endearing. And according to James 4, 8, the moment we take a step towards God, he's already moving towards us. And recognizing that, recognizing that regardless of how we feel in the moment, regardless of whether or not God feels close or distant, he is with us and he remains with us. And recognizing that can help us grieve well with joy and hope. Have you ever wondered why some people seem to handle life's hurts so much better than others? Why one person will fall into a lifetime of bitterness while others somehow bounces back or maybe can weep and weep deeply while still maintaining such a sweet spirit? The other day, the director of counseling at my church, Mark Montagna, he made a statement that got me thinking. He said that he believed the majority of anxiety that we see in our culture is related 
to unresolved grief. Grief for things that people haven't really grieved, areas where people need to grieve, but maybe they haven't. To put it slightly differently, with a per- due to a person's unwillingness or inability to grieve, because grieving is hard. We don't like to feel pain. I sure don't. But our pain won't go away just because we suppress it, just because we try to distance ourselves from it or distract ourselves from it or cover it with a cheery smile and a catchy slogan. You know, don't worry, be happy. That sounded great at a dance party, but not when you're battling the pain and the fatigue of chronic illness. Am I right? God wants us to live authentically, to live honestly with him and with ourselves. And in our pain, in our anger, whatever emotion we're feeling, may we run to him rather than away from him. And can I pause and talk about anger for a minute? Anger tends to scare us, probably because we've all seen the destruction, ungodly, uncontrolled anger causes. But Anger can be a necessary stage of healthy grieving, a stage that if not felt can lead to bitterness, depression, and getting emotionally stuck. And if we're in that spot, we need to ask ourselves, if we feel like we're stuck, if we're just kind of this blanket of gloom and and our our entire perspective is of despair, like of, of life, and we have no hope, we need to ask ourselves if we've grieved. Have we grieved? everything that we need to for as long as we need to? Have we taken time to really acknowledge and mourn all that we've lost? Once we do that, it's easier. First of all, it helps us to to move forward, to keep moving forward. And it, it makes it easier for us to find alternate ways to experience joy. So let me give you an example. I record these episodes ahead. And right now I'm sitting here in my office while the world is pretty much shut down because of the coronavirus. Well, my my daughter, my only daughter and her fiance are getting married next month and they can't delay the wedding for numerous reasons. They've paid the down deposit on an apartment. They've signed a lease. They've paid for half of their honeymoon. Invites have been ordered and sent. The cakes have been paid for. And, and now we don't know what will happen. We don't even know if we're going to be allowed to really have a ceremony. They might end up saying their vows in our backyard with only a handful of people and And that's hard for me as a mom. That's hard. But at first, I didn't really let myself acknowledge or really process how hard this all was because so many people seem to be fighting so their battles that were so much more difficult. And so I just, I didn't, I felt like my grieving was petty. And so I didn't really let myself grieve. And as a result, I kind of, was stuck in this weird place of gloom, but not quite grief, if that makes any kind of sense. But then as I shared this with others, they gave me permission to grieve and and help me to evaluate and name what I was grieving. And I realized it wasn't the cake, it wasn't the lights, it wasn't the decoration or even the ceremony. Instead, it was the special moments that I'd long anticipated sharing with my daughter, the memories that we would make. Honestly, memories I had anticipated since she was a little girl prouncing about in her little dress-up clothes. But see, once I recognized what I was really grieving, I was able to consider ways that I could compensate, ways I could create special memories in whatever situation that we had during an in-home wedding and, and how my daughter and I could celebrate each moment, how we could make it special and memorable. Sometimes we have to do that with our illness. We need to prayerfully sit in our grief long enough to really grieve it. And we need to recognize what we're really grieving. We need to wrestle with that. And we might even need to wrestle with God through that. 
so that we can find new ways to experience all those things that we cherish most. Maybe we can attend a Bible study on Thursday mornings, but can we find a, a study group we can connect with on Facebook or through FaceTime? Which So my ministry, Holy Love Ministries, we actually have a private Facebook group. It's called Holy Love Ministries. You can find us on Facebook. And it's a place where we come together to encourage one another and to find community. So if you're longing for that, I, I encourage you to find me and to find that that group and join us. One afternoon during those first few months of my illness, when I was still wrestling with my my diagnosis, with my identity, and processing what maybe the rest of my life would look like, when, when my circumstances and my fatigue were constantly warring with my emotions, my pharmacist encouraged me to do one thing each day that made me smile or made me laugh or in some way brought enjoyment each day even if that was simply buying a candy bar. Now, for those of you who use food as your escape, you'll want to find something else. Otherwise, your actions will probably only compound your discouragements by piling on guilt and self-loathing on top of it. But we all need to look for things that we can look forward to. We need to regularly find ways intentionally to make ourselves smile. Call that special friend, watch that funny video, buy that coloring page, work that puzzle, sit in the sun, do something to bring enjoyment every day. And we have to find some way not only to experience life ourselves, that's really what it is about. It's, it's still experiencing life in whatever capacity that we can, but also finding a way to share that life with others, to engage in a story that is beyond us, a story that can bring purpose and meaning to our most painful moments. About eight years ago, a sweet friend of mine, she received a terminal diagnosis. She had brain cancer and and the surgeons, they could remove part of her tumor, but they couldn't get it all. And in fact, they gave her a year to live. And let me tell you this this rocked her world. She had to grieve, not just all that she would lose personally, all those moments she had envisioned and anticipated, but she had to grieve what her three boys, they were all eight and under, what they would lose as well. And that is deep, deep pain. And I watched as she walked through each step of the grieving stages, as God led her through each step, holding tight to her, even when she tried to push him away. And she grieved and she lived well. Yes, she got mad. Oh my, did she get angry. She and God had some real and intense, honest conversations and she cried. And for a time she struggled with hopelessness and despair. But then about three, maybe four months before her death, things shifted. And she began to grieve with hope with her eye on Christ and heaven. She began to study heaven, like intentionally read books that let her know what was awaiting her. And we began to talk about it. And she began to anticipate it. And the more she contemplated the realities of heaven, the more God's mission ignited within her. She knew where she was headed and she recognized in a way that only the dying can that her time on earth truly was short. And she determined to make the most of every moment, to live every second surrendered to Christ so that her words might in some way point others to him. 
that Christ and the things of eternity, that became her driving focus, her heart's desire. And as a result, she experienced deep, deep joy and an intimacy with Jesus that is maybe impossible to put into words. Christ became her life. And even as her physical life, her strength, her ability to talk, to walk, began to fade, he infused life, vitality within her, spiritual vitality within her. And let me tell you, she lived, truly lived to her last breath. And she impacted so many people. To this day, nearly a decade later, if you visit her Facebook profile, and every once in a while I do because it just feels like a connection, but if you visit her Facebook profile, you see people are still lighting it up. Her hope-filled life, giving legacy lives on and it will live on. I have no doubt for all of eternity. That is life. That is thriving in whatever situation, whatever circumstance you are in. And that's what you and I were created for. That's our assignment, our call, our purpose, whether we're traveling the world, proclaiming the gospel, or we're lying in a hospital bed, showing the world what it looks like to lean hard on Jesus. Both are beautiful. Both are powerful. Both are gloriously, eternally significant. We were created to have significance. I believe that God hardwired that need into the human heart from the very beginning of time. And because he hardwired that need within us, that need for purpose to be life changers and light bearers, he will show us how to fill it. But we might need to let go of all the ways we used to find fulfillment. We might need to grieve those things in order to find the new ministry that he has waiting for us to step into. And can I speak to those who are bedridden, who maybe wonder if your life has value? Do you know you have something of inexpressible value, something so many of our sisters need? Time. You have the time to engage. You have the time to listen well. You have the time to be fully present in the present. And those are the most precious gifts we can give to others. And they're gifts that many in our world are so desperate for. We can let others know that they are seen, heard, understood, valued, and loved. And when you do that, you are living the gospel. You are living Christ's mission. And it might take time for you to find that outlet, maybe a group that you can call periodically, or maybe a young mom that you can mentor through cards or text messages, or or maybe a prayer group that you can participate. It might take time to really discover what God has waiting for you, but it's worth the effort for you and also the person that God wants to love through you. We need, people need to know that they're not alone. And we need to remember that as well. First, we have God. But we also have one another. We need one another. But we also need to choose who we spend time with. We, we need to be spending time cultivating relationships with those who point us to Jesus, point us to truth, and point us to hope, who let us grieve absolutely and grieve honestly, but who will always point us to hope, not we need to steer clear of the negative Nellies, I guess you could call them the people that just kind of pile on, like you tell them what's wrong and they're like, yeah, well, you think that's bad. Listen to what I experienced. We need to guard ourselves against that because it's going to be hard enough for us to hold tight to joy 
without having to navigate extra negativity. We need to guard our influences. So early in my diagnosis, my rheumatologist encouraged me to join a support group. And so I did. I found one online and I immediately began to engage. And I got to tell you, that group was one of the most depressing, discouraging interactions that I could have experienced. Every time I shared something, maybe something I wanted to do, some way I was trying to grab hold of life. And back then I was, I was a lot weaker. I was a lot more fatigued. Everything was just a little harder because I didn't have my colitis under control. So I was malnourished. I was exhausted. I was discouraged. And I was trying to grab hold of life, trying to move forward. And, and whenever I would share something that I was going to try to do, or maybe a little celebration, didn't matter what it was, I received numerous comments telling me all the reasons I couldn't do that thing or shouldn't do that thing with long rants on all the things the other group members couldn't do. And as I sat at my breakfast counter, just kind of staring at my computer. I was dazed. I was stunned by, by sadness. And, and I was thinking, is that my life? Is that what I have to look forward to? And I could have stayed there. I could have remained forever caught up in that tornado of negativity, of hopelessness. But thank God he helped me climb out. Instead, I, I closed my laptop and I, and I told myself, that is not me. I made a choice and I said, that will not, that is not me and that will not be me. And I made the choice that I did not have to stop living. I refused to stop living. I didn't know what living looked like, but I refused to fall into despair. I determined to grieve with hope and to keep moving forward. And and one phrase just really hit my mind during that time. And it was, whatever you can't do, you can't do. Meaning the more that I gave into this, I can't mindset. And the more I stopped doing, the less I would be able to do in the future. And so I didn't know what my body was going to do the next day. I didn't know if I would be able to go back to training for triathlons, if I would never run another mile again, it didn't matter. I was going to do what I could because I knew if I didn't do what I could, I would lose, most likely lose that ability. And I would slowly lose life, really my, my vitality. And I determined, like I said, to grieve with hope. So first Thessalonians four, 13 to 18 says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus, those who have fallen asleep in him, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with those words. Or to put it differently, therefore, encourage yourself with those words. This life here where we're at, it is not the end. It is not our final destination. It's but a season. It's a hard season. And sometimes it might feel like a really long season, 
but heaven is coming. And so we grieve with hope and we encourage one another when we see others. There are so many in our world who need encouragement. And when we see others are hurting or feeling lonely or are discouraged, we can be that beacon of light to them. I have a friend, and so she moved to my area from Southern California. And in her, in, in Southern, that was during the all the Paradise Fires. I don't know if you saw that on the news, but basically an entire town was completely annihilated. People were displaced, and and kids were, they their school was gone. They, they weren't able to connect with their friends. They didn't know if they could finish school, how they were going to finish school, how they were going to graduate. People lost their faith communities. It was a really hard time for a lot of those people. And they, and a lot of those people were struggling with actually chronic illness. A lot of them had chronic illness. And so, and then others were caretakers. I mean, it was just a really difficult time. And so my friend, what she did, and she was going through a period where she was kind of wrestling with like, Lord, what do you want me to do? How can I serve you? Where's my fit? How can I find, fulfill my need for significance? Cause like I said, that's, that's what God hardwired in us. And so she started inviting people to my ministry's online community. And it created this little bubble of kind of like church. I mean, where women just came alongside each other and prayed for one another and encouraged one another and shared verses with one another. And my friend did that from her living room. And it was just as easy as clicking on her computer and sending an invite and sending a little heart and saying, hey, I'm praying for you. And, and let me tell you, for those women who had experienced such trauma, who had been displaced and who didn't know where they were going to go or where they were going to work and what was going to happen with their families, that was a beacon of light, a beacon of hope for them in a really dark time. And again, all she had to do was click her mouse and send the invite, send the message, send the email, send the text. That's something, write the card. That's something we all can do. And, and when we're focused on heaven and when we're focused on our mission in Christ, then we recognize all of these things that we experience today that, that God can use them for such good. Just like my friend, in a dark situation, she demonstrated the love and the hope and the grace of Christ. And I have no doubt, not only did she help her fellow sisters in Christ to just continue strong, but she also pointed others who didn't know him. She pointed others to him and showed what it looks like to really live anchored in grace. She grieved with hope and with truth. And she helped others grieve with hope and with truth. And Many of the Psalms give us such a beautiful example of how we can do that, how we can honestly feel, but we can feel with Jesus and we can grieve with hope. They provide something of a roadmap as to what that looks like. And in them, we see the depths of human pain, walking beside enduring joy and unshakable hope. So Psalm 59 was written by ancient Israel's second king back when the man who was reigning as king sent men to David's house in order to kill him. So it was written by David and he endured just such injustice and, and fear and despair. I mean, he, every human emotion that you can think of, and he honestly expressed them in his prayers. And so Psalm 59, he begins his prayer begging God for help. And he's, he says, deliver me from my enemies. O God, be my fortress against those who are attacking me. Deliver me from evildoers and save me from those who are after my blood. So first he's just like, Lord, help 
me. And, and I think we've all been there, right? But then in the verses that followed, he shared the depths of his fear and his pain. He said in verse three, see how they lie in wait for me. Fierce men conspire against me for no offense or sin of mine, Lord. I have done no wrong, yet they are ready to attack me. In other words, this is not fair. You ever feel like that? I think, yeah. I mean, this world, we know, we know this, right? This world is not fair. And sometimes what we experience, there, there isn't an answer and it feels unjust. And then he continues in verse six, they return at evening snarling like dogs and prowl about the city. But then, so he just pours out his heart openly, just all of it, his, his fear, his anger, his, his pain. He, he cries out about the injustice of it all. But then he shifts his focus to God and he says, you are my strength. I watch for you. I love that. I watch for you. That's this anticipation of God. I know that you're good. I know you're loving. I know you're faithful. And I am going to anticipate my encounter with you. You, God, he says, are my fortress, my God on whom I can rely. So how did he do that? Like how, when facing such hardship, such terror, how did David keep his heart and his hope centered on God? Well, in part, he asked, he asked for help. And in Psalm 61, verse 2, he wrote, From the ends of the earth, I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. As my heart grows faint, so as I am in despair, I feel weak, I'm fatigued, I'm depressed. As my heart grows faint, I call to you. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. When our heart, our mind, our will, our emotions feel faint and despair attempts to overtake us, we need to ask God for help. Lead me to higher ground, God, because right now I can't make it to you. I can't make it to that place of hope by myself. I need you to lead me, and I need you to lead me to that rock that is higher, a higher vantage point where I can view today's struggle from a heavenly perspective. And lead me to that steady, that firm, that sure rock that will forever be firm beneath my feet, even when the ground all around me starts to shake and my knees, they, they threaten to give way. For you are my God and my Savior and my Redeemer, the lifter of my head, the lover of my soul. God, you will carry me through this because you are good, you are faithful, and you are true. As we close today's episode, I want to leave you with an action step. Meditate on the cross of Christ. Consider the price he paid for you. Meditate on that deeply. Meditate on his love and who he is often. Meditate on the promise of an eternity spent with him. Build up your anticipation for what is coming because it is coming and it will be amazing. Heaven is coming and it will be so much sweeter than we could ever imagine. And our joy will be uncontainable, unshakable and unending. Speaking of joy, biblical joy, not the fleeting and often circumstantial emotion that our modern dictionaries define it by. But speaking of joy, I want you to keep an eye out for Holy Love Ministries' upcoming Bible study, Unshakable, Unbreakable Joy, which will help you experience true and abiding joy 
no matter your circumstances, as you draw ever closer to God, the God of joy, joy comes from him, not our circumstances, not our striving. It comes from him, the joy giver. And make sure to connect with me online. You can find my ministry. If you go to holylove.com, you'll find all of our resources. If you follow us on Facebook, we'll alert you to when our Bible study releases. It'll have video components and then take-home lessons. And also make make sure to visit my devotional website, Jennifer Slattery Lives Out Loud, and where you'll find more faith-building resources. And you can reach out to me on social media. I would love to connect with you. Just Google my name. And again, make sure to find that Facebook community, Holy Loved Ministries. You can just type that up in the search engine and you should find us. It's a private group where you can link arms with other women who are just fighting for life and for joy and for hope and to keep moving forward in Christ. And thank you for joining me today. If you enjoyed this episode. I would love it if you would rate it. That helps others to learn about this podcast. Make sure to share it with others. Gather some people around. You can go to my show notes and and find some questions and gather some people around either in person or maybe through Zoom or through Facebook and work through the questions. Maybe pray through them on your own and go in peace, go in joy, go in life. Keep moving forward because there is life. Your life is not over. God still has work for you to do, hope for you to speak, life for you to speak, lives for you to touch, and joy for you to experience. Thriving with Chronic Illness is a production of Life Audio and the Salem Web Network. If you enjoyed this episode, would you take a minute and leave us a review in your podcast app? It really does help more people like you find the podcast. To hear more from Jennifer Slattery, be sure to check out her fantastic site, holyloved.com. This episode was produced by me, Kelly Gibbons, and edited by Stephen Sanders. A special thanks to our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey. For more podcasts like this, head over to lifeaudio.com. A crazy world out there, moms and dads. I'm Katherine Seegers, host of Christian Parent Crazy World, the podcast that tackles tough topics to help you be a godly parent in an ungodly world. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.